Linux Out Loud is firing up our microphones, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banner friendly of the conversation, well, somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off Unpopular Tech Opinions Part Dos. Let's get into episode 52. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. And with me today are my fantastic co-hosts, the one with the totally unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, despite how much he will argue with me about it, and our network photographer extraordinaire, Wendy. What is going on, guys? Just over here having a party. Or wait, this is not what a party should look like. I'm drinking <laughs> coffee and making myself more functional. How about that? So it sounds like a normal day for most of us. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so, probably. <laughs> I think Nate fell in a toilet already. I think I did fall in a toilet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got no witty, sarcastic banter back. I mean, you're lacking in that enthusiasm and conversational part there, Nate. I mean, come on. Well, that's because I'm part moron. I had the mic muted, and even though I have the waveform up, I can't actually <laughs> pay attention to what my system's doing right now. I have no idea what my problem is. So, so far, I've like I've got like three fails already, and the show just started. Yes. I got nothing. I can't. There's no fun to poke at there. <laughs> yeah, it's like par for the course. <laughs> Nate is having some epic fails. Apparently, Wendy, seems you are doing some things that I would normally do, and that's buying games. I did. There was a game that was on my wish list. It was on a pretty good sale. I can't even remember how much it was, but it's been a while since I bought a game, so I figured I'd go ahead and pick it up. It's called Tandem, A Tale of Shadows. This one is classified as a puzzle platformer, puzzle game, and I would love to give you some feedback on this thing. I have bought it. I've installed it, and that's as far as it went. I haven't played it at all. Haven't had time to play it because everything's been all about the robots. All about the robots. So I am really excited to play it. The reviews of this <laughs> look pretty good. And I do love a puzzle game. I'm pretty interested in the graphic style of this thing. It is... A newer game came out in 2021, so I still consider that a newer game anyway. I'm excited to play it. I hope it's a lot of fun, but we'll see because I haven't actually fired it up at all yet. So I will say, Wendy, in fairness, you have one game that you have downloaded and installed. Last I looked on Steam for what I currently have installed onto my external hard drive, I have 91 games that I've yet to touch. Oh, there are a lot of games that I have installed and not played or keys that I haven't even actually activated yet. So we could still go down that road, though. I know that I can't hold a candle to your game library, even your untouched game library, because before Linux and really before being part of the network in general, I didn't play games at all. Like there was a Sonic when I was a kid, I'm a little bit on the Sega with some other things, but that was pretty much it. I didn't touch computer games, video games at all throughout most of my childhood and my adult life. And it was after getting into Linux that I found games. So for me, it was reversed. There's a lot of people that find games and I'm like, oh, they can't switch to Linux because I play video games and this doesn't work on there. No, I found video games after I found Linux. So if it doesn't work on Linux for the most part, I'm like, yeah, I don't need to play it. Different route. I understand. I've been there for a long time, <laughs> Wendy, so I understand. Nate, for you, it's still 1989, 1990. 1999, baby. We're, we're <laughs> 1999. Speaking of that, I do have a video that I need to share with you, Nate. And when I actually watched it with my daughter, it reminded me so much of you. So it was Jay's two cents. He got his hands on a Commodore 64 Ooh. and they were playing the Top Gun game on it. He actually ends up showing his daughter the computer, playing some of the game with her. And I loved that whole interaction. And I think it's something you would get a kick out of. Yes, please share a link. You've been on a writing kick as you are cleaning out that browser what is the newest article that you've got up on cubiclenate.com? Well, I did an article on a Matrix chat client called Nico, N-H-E-K-O. It's kind of, I think it's pronounced Nico. Looks like Nico. I'm going with it. Or Nahiko. It's a uh, Matrix chat client that's built on Qt with encryption. There's been other Matrix clients that didn't have encryption. And I kind of feel like if you don't have encryption on Matrix, it's kind of a waste of time. Although I might be the only one on the network that says this, but like, I still like Matrix. 
not a huge fan of Discord, even though we use it, because it either doesn't notify me or it over-notifies me, or I can't find where I was being notified for. Yes. To me, it's just kind of a mess. I completely understand on those issues with Discord. I actually currently have a complaint about Discord right now. So if I am on the Discord client for my computer, it says I have a personal message somewhere. I've got a little number on the top and a red circle that says I have a message. I have went through and checked every single one of those messages and all of them have been read. I don't have any friend requests pending, nothing like that. I cannot find where this missing message is. No clue. That's because it's a phantom message. It doesn't actually exist. Apparently, but I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. And that's actually one of my complaints <laughs> of Discord too. Like I'll get a message and I guess it was like a room or an all or just every once in a while they just give you notifications so you go in that room. I don't really know what's going on. I mean, I like how, you know, we can have our little conference calls and such in Discord. So I, I see the utility of Discord and it does work well. It just doesn't work well for me, I guess is what it boils down to. I still use Matrix. I had just a lot of people I talked to on Matrix and I just started to, again, further clean out my backlog of things I started. And one of them was a Matrix client that was built with Qt. And this one's called Nico, which I already said that. It's quite nice. I would say it doesn't have quite that new user friendliness that Element or Shieldy Chat would have. But if you already have a Matrix account and you already know what you're doing with Matrix, it's perfectly fine. I like the look and feel of it. It matches my desktop environment like as far as the visuals of it matches quite nicely. Entering your passphrase for your recovery key or whatever it is to decrypt messages, that all works just the same. And then the way it presents the interface to you, I really like as well. And the thing I like about it, which is very, very much in the uh, style of cute applications or plasma applications. It gives you all kinds of options, different little things to tweak, everything from font sizes to colors to how you want the messages displayed, the system tray, yes or no, things like this. So there's a lot of different ways you can tweak it to make it work just for you. And so I I did do some tweaking. Uh, You can even change which uh, emojis that you want and so forth. I didn't do like a lot of tweaks, but because I do have a 1080p screen on a 14-inch display, I do want to have my font slightly bigger. I did adjust the fonts. And again, it's just like how it displays the information. I just really like it a lot more than the, we'll say the Cadillac Matrix app. So I just did a little article on that. It's not very long. It's very small as far as my articles go. I think it's a a well-done application. Interestingly, the Flatpak integrates theme-wise better into Plasma than the native Plasma packages in OpenSUSE. I don't know what the problem is there, but that's just the way it is. And it looks like it's actively being developed. And, you know, so I'm going to use it for now unless I find something better. That's interesting. I really haven't used Matrix a whole lot since the network dropped it. And the biggest reason was my account was connected to the Tux Digital One and I didn't have a separate one. Now, Pybrix uses a Matrix client, and they're currently using one, I think, that's called Glitter. I don't know okay. anything about that, but I have jumped in to see, you know, what some of those conversations are. And I think I did actually sign up for a new Matrix account after that. So I have to do some more digging. I did enjoy Matrix as a user, as someone who's putting it out for a whole bunch of people on the back end, it was definitely having some issues there, especially for the Tux Digital community, people trying to handle that server. But as someone using it, for the most part, I really liked the way it flowed. I liked the client we were on, though I don't think you ever really used Element. That Element is the one that I was using before, but you had found something else that you liked previously, and this yes. one... It's even better now than the one you yep. were using before. So a lot of the features that Shilda Chat had, it was a fork of Element, have been rolled into Element. So I think the differentiation is not as much there now. Right. I haven't tried Element in a while to, to see. But Shilda Chat, the way you, you could uh, display the message, feed the list, whatever, it was more readable. You know, like on Telegram, how you have the message from the other person is on the left side and your responses are on the right side, that how, and they're kind of in bubbles. I like that look. It's just it's easier for my eyes to distinguish things. It doesn't look like a wall of text to me. And so that's how I like to have it displayed. Does it take up a little more real estate on the client? Yes, a little bit, but it's yeah. easier for me to read. And so that's how I have Nico Chat, and that's how I had Childa Chat configured. Interesting. I will definitely have to check it out because I do miss how easy Matrix was for some of those communication things back and forth. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know Matt is silent on it because I think he didn't care for Matrix at all. No, I disliked <laughs> Element on a mobile platform. 
that was my gripe. On a mobile platform, yeah, it wasn't that good. But I, I don't do a lot of mobile chatting, really. And actually, it's probably Telegram the most just because I speech to text most of the time if I'm on a mobile. I can't do like the kids and rapidly smack my thumbs against that flat screen and get the results I want. It just doesn't happen. Legit, that was my biggest gripe is most of my communication when it comes to that stuff just because of my work schedule based around mobile. Right. When you have a, not what I would view as a great mobile client, it just makes it less than ideal. Yeah, you're not wrong. It got better over time as we were using it on the, like the app end, but like I can see why it wasn't functioning for the what the network needed it was totally understandable i totally got it and it is the state of it of matrix i hope it's not where it stays i hope it continues to improve and that what the issues network had with it do go away agreed and uh, i'm not gonna say i have my own issues with discord as a meeting (laughs) hub for what we would use it for on the network i think the best option we currently have is available as a native well quote-unquote native version on linux so Yeah, absolutely right. I'm not arguing that at all. I just don't like it. I want to like it. I I really, really want to like it. I just can't. (laughs) It bothers me. It's it's like, I'll just leave it there. Matt, so it looks like you're going to do something with people voluntarily, nerdy people? (laughs) Yeah, nerdy people. And, you know, I can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm willingly going to meet a group of people that have similar interests as the rest of us on the network, uh, in fact. I'm going to be attending the Central Pennsylvania uh, Open Source Conference. That should be an interesting experience. No idea what to expect. There's not a lot of info on the site anyway, as far as like what the talks and all that stuff are. But for a one-day conference, I believe it starts at 8 and goes until 5, but there's like, you know, after events and all that stuff, like most of those conferences would have. It should be a fun time, kind of see what's going on with some of the open source stuff around central pa and all that stuff so i'm really excited to see what they uh talk about because uh, the last one conference that i went to was foscon trying to remember 2020 19 20 so it's been a while since i've gone to any conventions you know certain things made life complicated for a couple of years to really right face-to-face meetings of stuff like that so definitely be interesting I heard a rumor that somebody else might be going, just saying. Well, you know, it's only about seven hours and some change away from me, and I think that I should go. One, it would be cool just to actually see you face-to-face, be able to insult you to your face, not from behind a keyboard. That would be great. (laughs) So that means I can reciprocate anyway, so it's fine. You reciprocate? (laughs) The insults. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it'll be interesting to see whether or not you show up, Nate. The other person that I know from the community that might go is Prophetic because he's not far from where I'm at either. So that'll be a fun time and, you know, maybe do a little live streaming or something from the con if we can. Yeah, that'd be great. I think it'd be tons of fun. Wendy just wants to see how much me and Nate banter and rag on each other the entire time. That would actually be a blast. The question is going to be, can <laughs> Matt keep it clean in front of people? I don't know. Honestly, like... I would bet against it. Well, he can when we do the live shows, but that's a pretty short period of time. In fairness, I also do that on every single time I stream for games here as well. That's true. That's with me playing video games that can aggravate me to no end sometimes. Yeah. Yes, I can. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. We'll give you a tiny shred of credit. Just tiny. a little bit. Shred. Yeah. Says the person with... A hashtag of Sinister Wendy. Visit Linode.com slash Tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support to ease of use and setup, it is clear why developers and businesses have been trusting Linode for their projects, both big and small, since 2003. Don't worry if you're just getting started. That 24-hour, 7 days a week, 365 days a year support is offered to every level of user. They also offer industry-best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high-memory, and GPUs. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com tux, create a free account, and you'll get a $100 credit. Say you're in a hurry. Don't worry about it. You can build everything yourself or use the Linode one-click apps to deploy everything from Plesk, WordPress, to Valheim, and Minecraft servers. Make sure you visit linode.com 
slash tux to get started for free and snag that $100 credit while you're at it. So while we were talking last episode about some of our more unpopular tech opinions, we figured we'd continue because the list is actually a lot longer than we thought. Nate, I'm going to let you go first and kind of continue on where some of your unpopular tech opinions continued. Certainly. So my biggest unpopular opinion is I don't think that ARM or RISC-V will replace x86 anytime soon. And the reason I say that is, yes, are there more ARM devices and are they smaller devices? And are, do more people have ARM, I guess, maybe today than x86? Yes. RISC-V, it's in development, it's up and coming, kind of expensive, doesn't really perform very well. But x86 technology isn't stagnant. It's not like Intel and AMD just like saying, oh, well, we won. Let's hang up our hats here and go home. They're still doing things. They're still innovating on the platform. So it's not like ARM is going to all of a sudden just whip right past x86 for general purpose computing. Outside of Apple Silicon, you don't have a modern any kind of modern ATX features built into most of the ARM platforms like Pies and Pine64. The things that you can buy, they're kind of like going back in time 30 years to the AT standard. There's no advanced power management of any kind that allows you to suspend and bring it back and stuff like that. Also, there's no broadly targetable ARM platform. You have to target the Pi 3 or the Pi 4 or, or Pine 64, and when they have a new chip, you have to target that chip. Everything is very custom, so you have to be a lot more deliberate about when you do something with an ARM-based system. It's not so easy as x86 because of the foundations that were set by, I guess, Intel and IBM ultimately back in the late 70s, early 80s, that we have a, this kind of open platform that's, again, broadly targetable. The other thing, too, is like a lot of these ARM devices, yes, they do perform well, and they, they can act as a desktop. You know, it's kind of a square peg in a round hole deal. And now, keep in mind, I do actually use a Pi 4 for desktop activities, and I have it configured as such, so that it's a little bit more modern feeling, but it's still like using an AT standard box. Once you turn it off, you know, really, there should be a, like back in the Windows 95 days, Matt, you might remember this, when you go to shut down your computer safely, it would say, it is now safe to turn off your computer. That's essentially what <laughs> I have to do on my Pi 4. That's the pink retro computer I built for my daughter. I'm not saying I don't like ARM. I, in fact, I love ARM. I think it's great. I haven't tried RISC-V yet, but I just don't think they are anywhere close to passing at a broad level x86. x86 is just a more mature general purpose computing environment. We've seen more technologies take over, right? The DVD replaced the VHS, the Blu-ray right. replaced the DVD, but I do think you're onto something there as far as ARM not necessarily taking over the world when it comes to most of your computer. Yeah, it's in a ton of handheld devices, but all of the software that's being run on that word, the firmware in that case, has to be specifically targeted to that device. I'm someone who loves to flash different ROMs on my phone, but those ROMs have to be made for that specific device. And yes, some of that does have to do with the ARM chip in it. Yes, that does have to do with some of the other hardware that is on different devices, but I can see where you're going with that. Mac has been able to make it work in their laptop, but they control everything all the way around. They're controlling things on the hardware side and on the software side, where in the general computer market on the PCs, they are making the hardware and then they're using a more blanket operating system, one that's supposed to work on far more devices and far more configurations. And so that makes using ARM in its current state extremely difficult. I do think ARM could do some amazing calculations. I love how power efficient it can be. The ARM boards that I have are fantastic. We're going to be using some again for some different projects for the robotics team. They do have their place, but if I'm sitting down at a computer to do my work, I agree with you that that's not happening anytime soon on an ARM chip. Yeah, and I think like robotics, perfect usage, absolute right. perfect usage for ARM-based systems. ARM is very use case specific. Let me rephrase this. In its current way, it is done. Because like Wendy, you mentioned for flashing ROMs, we'll strictly talk phones here. We're not talking tablets and every other thing that's available. MediaTek is going to be different than a Snapdragon or a Qualcomm chip. You're going to have just the different SOCs of, in general that are available on ARM itself with no generically no standard. Like, yeah, you can target a Qualcomm Snapdragon processor, but every iteration is a different way of doing it. 
There's no standard in how they do their stuff. So every time it's something different. And then you get into things like the firmware and the bootloaders and all the other stuff that go into a phone. Again, very device specific. When Nate mentions like the Pi and the Pine 64, et cetera, and I love all those devices. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Pine fanboy to no end. The fact of the matter is they're use case specific. They have a very specific use case. Whereas like what Nate said, x86 hasn't been stagnant amd over the last you know what probably six seven years has really been kind of kicking intel down the line to get their stuff together how long were they were like oh we're gonna go to you know x nanometer chip and amd keeps beating them to the punch every time every time every time we get more power efficient get better more power you know things like even five years ago intel's gpus were functional But you didn't do a lot of serious 3D work on them because they just weren't that good, honestly, as far as beyond that basic function. Right. But then you get things with AMD where they bring in that ATI buyout they did back in 2006 and make that a core part of their business and the APUs and all that stuff. It changes a lot of the x86 development, but still keeps that open base and ATX base that we all generically really enjoy when it comes to a lot of this stuff, especially Mm -hmm. if you build computers. And Intel now has the efficiency cores and the performance cores on their CPUs that they're they're developing. I don't think they're quite as good as like what Apple has done on their silicon yet, as far as like, maybe it's a software thing, maybe it's a, you know, a driver issue right now. But from the things that I've read and some stuff I saw, I've watched on YouTube, so you know, nobody can be lying there, right? From what I understand, those performance metrics and, you know, for power efficiency and, and also just raw performance, you know, x86 is doing something pretty fantastic. They could, for, for some of those really, really old command structure sets, I don't know the exact terminology here, what is used to keep the platform compatible to its origins, I mean, they could relegate that off the die for many of the performance cores or whatever, because it's not necessarily needed. There is a way to continue the platform while also maintaining compatibility with its legacy. And, you know, people say, well, legacy is its encumberment. And it is in some ways, but it's also its strength. And I think it's more of a strength than an encumberment because I know that any software that has been built in the last 20 years is still going to be able to run on the architecture. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that Linux actually helps to keep some of these old things still relevant so you can preserve some of the computer history, which for me is very important that we preserve those things. And I think that just Linux and the x86 platform, I think they're it's just still the best way to go for general computer functions. Yeah, and as long as they continue to improve it like they have been over the last few years or continuing to improve it, then I think x86 will still be the top when it comes to chip for your general computing. It's when ARM starts to take over or RISC starts to take over in having things that x86 no longer has, that one of those will take its place. But any of the companies that are currently producing x86 chips haven't fallen down on their laurels. Even like some of the phone companies have when you're like, oh, look, it's another brick and we just improved the XYZ. (laughs) Woo, woo, right? Yay, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it may be an unpopular opinion. It's not that I don't like ARM or RISC. I just don't believe the hype and the experts that say x86s may not be a thing in the future. I don't think that's going to be a reality. I, I think there's going to be more architectures that are common. x86 just won't be the only dog in the hunt. It's going. There's going to be other platforms which will actually keep x86 more vibrant, more agile because there is competition. I think ARM and RISC and then, you know, and PowerPC or whatever it's called now, these other architectures, I think those are all great things to have. It forces the industry to be innovative. Agreed. Well, Matt, you have an unpopular opinion that I may or may not agree with concerning graphics cards. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. And this one, and I speak as an AMD person. All my systems, barring one, are all AMD right now. So (laughs) keep this in mind when I say the following. AMD has just as many problems as NVIDIA. They're just different. And I can agree and at the same time disagree with that one. I definitely see where you're coming from on that because AMD is not perfect and they have had plenty of mess ups in the past. Some of the things that I have disliked about AMD is you've hyped up this graphics card and then you put it out with underperforming drivers because they're not ready. 
the drivers are not ready to be going out, but yet you're putting out the graphics card, you're putting out the drivers, and all these people are doing the initial testing on it. So here we've got a couple weeks, a month later, and now the drivers are awesome and the graphics card's performing like it should be, but the initial launch is crap. That's one of the issues I have with AMD. Absolutely. And there can be some other problems coming in with it. I actually would love to be able to use DaVinci Resolve. And this isn't necessarily an AMD problem, but DaVinci Resolve is amazing when it comes to the color correction that you can do on video. If I'm using a piece of software to edit video, it's probably part of the reason why I really haven't dove into video in general, was I want that same control on video than I can get an image. I want to have the masking. I want to have the color correction, all of that stuff. And just the way with how those different graphic cards work, the drivers, whatever they're doing with them, NVIDIA is really only going to be supported on that line or it's a lot harder to get it to work. Though I do love the fact that AMD, why they do have drivers that are not open source, you can kind of pick and choose which of those proprietary drivers get installed. Mm -hmm. So most of my stack could be Mesa, but I can pull in a little bit of proprietary for the OpenCL support. I don't know. You're definitely picking <laughs> which problems you want to deal with. And for me, NVIDIA has way bigger headaches than AMD on Linux. Anyway, I don't know. I've had my fair share of issues with it on a Windows system too and complaints from my co-mentor on her Windows system. But that's my take, I guess. My specific take on this is more the, what you alluded to is how AMD does this stuff. Mm -hmm. This doesn't just stem specifically from like the Vega 64 and the Radeon 7 and all that stuff. It's a continuous thing. It's gotten better. I will say that. However, what the way they manage to do stuff is here's a product launch. They'll pin everything for that product in a kernel that is, you know, three, six months down the line. So what? <laughs> so I have a half-baked product that might not work. They'll get it ironed out. They just won't iron it out in the timing that you would like. That's not how that's supposed to work when you launch a product. <laughs> I, I understand. But look at car manufacturers when they launch a brand new line. It doesn't work properly until they have many recalls. Got to take the thing back. <laughs> and then eventually it gets worked out. It's, it's, everybody does it. Come on, man. Just because everyone does it doesn't mean it's not a bad consumer practice. Oh, it's a terrible consumer practice. Despite, I'm not saying NVIDIA doesn't have their issues on day one products. I am not saying that. AMD has a history of it with a product launch. You can go from the launch and the issues with the Vegas to the Radeon to the 6000 series that luckily all those issues were fixed because of Linux. I will say that even the Windows ones. But those were issues that should not, or the 5000 series as well. Those are all issues and problems that should not have been there to begin with. And the fact that they pin releases on certain versions of the kernel and certain versions of Mesa for those to be enabled in the kernel, for those drivers to be enabled for that piece of technology in the kernel and in Mesa, which is not on release, is doing a disservice to the people who bought the stuff day one. At least with NVIDIA, you do have official support day one. I'm not saying it, there haven't been issues with their drivers because even recently there was with like the 525 drivers. So I'm not saying there hasn't been. I'm saying the way they go about it. For people who run AMD systems, this is why I've always recommend rolling because you get those improvements a lot quicker in a rolling distro than you will in a more static, more company-based distro say like an ubuntu or um, a leap i know they're in transition with leap and stuff and nate but you know what i mean when i say that that static release yeah i think the static releases don't benefit from whatever amd is doing on their new products i i totally agree exactly but static releases are better for nvidia agreed some of that's on the distros too i'm not gonna lie but a lot of that i place at amd's feet when I hear, oh, AMD is the way to go if you're on Linux, well, we're kind of overselling it because it's like, if this, if this, and if this. Now, I'm not going to say NVIDIA is perfect, far from it. I can go and look at a laptop right now that I have that's a Vega system with a NVIDIA GPU. 
You want to talk about a headache? Try getting that to play nice. Literally, I have shut off the AMD GPU, basically. It only boots into NVIDIA, and that's a NVIDIA issue. The gap in good user experience between AMD and NVIDIA, they both have user experience gaps. I think NVIDIA's gap is a chasm versus AMD's gap. AMD's got a problem with like timing release, their software getting pushed out in time to the different distributions because it's so wrapped into the Mesa and kernel that if you don't have a rolling release distribution, that it's probably not going to be the greatest experience for you. And I don't know how to solve that for static distros. I know OpenSUSE, at least they have in the past, they will have backports to fix some of those things like Mesa and give those hardware enablement. Those will be backported mm -hmm. a little bit quicker, but not as quick as what you'll get on Tumbleweed. Although I also think that if you are an enthusiast and you're buying brand new hardware, you are also likely running rolling distribution, in which case I think AMD will likely be better, but you are having troubles. I mean, obviously you're not wrong. I mean, I think you're wrong, but you're not wrong in your <laughs> assessment. You're wrong for other reasons. AMD is a better open source supporter than NVIDIA. I will not argue that. But I think NVIDIA has made some strides. By leaps and bounds, AMD is better in that regard. NVIDIA has made baby steps in the right direction. I will say this. I will say leaps and bounds for NVIDIA. <laughs> True, doing anything in open source for NVIDIA is the leaps and bounds. It is. But if you're solely talking about working with the community and all that stuff, yes, NVIDIA is far below AMD in that regard. It's totally, I will not say otherwise. However, it's the user experience for me that has always mattered. And AMD, when they launch a new product and you use Linux eh, and it's a GPU, eh, you might want to hold off because like it took, you know, a year, 18 months for the Radeon 7 and the, the Vega 6456 to even be remotely equivocal to what its performance should have been. And they've done it with other cards as well on launches. That's where I say they have just as many problems. They're just different. Once they get straightened out, they're fine. NVIDIA has a stack of problems that's anytime you update the kernel sometime. If you are like me and you run one two-year-old hardware habitually, then you never see the AMD problems, but you will still see those NVIDIA problems. Which, ironically though, the thing that gave me the most issues was an AMD GPU, but I could chalk that up to the graphics switching between AMD or NVIDIA. So take your pick. Yeah, oh, who knows? Exactly. Like graphic switching in general is a pain, but having had a card to card comparison, because the current system I have is an AMD, I think it's a 5800X. I don't remember the exact CPU, but it's one of the newer ones and it's got the um, 6600 GPU in it, but it uses the integrated as well. So the trade-off stuff is a little bit different when it comes to AMD because some stuff, it will detect both GPUs. Other times, it doesn't. At least when it comes to certain things, because I know, Wendy, you've had to use this app, is um, Optimus Manager QT. Yes. Sometimes just telling the computer, just ignore this card altogether is simply the best option. It can be, <laughs> unless you have a laptop that won't let you do that. And when you try to do that, it black screens and you can't get into it. Those are my favorite. I'm talking regardless <laughs> of its Intel, NVIDIA, like pick your GPU, basically. I've had other AMD laptops. I had a, I think it was a Acer Swift 3, which is, I think it was a 2700U. So it was like their second gen Ryzen. But it had a, you know, the integrated Vega, Vega 10. And then it had a dedicated RX 540. So it was like, it was like a two gig card. It wasn't fantastic. The system would just lock up because it couldn't figure out which GPU to use. So like it would try offloading stuff and it would just hard lock the entire system. Didn't matter the distro. Garuda, Ubuntu, OpenSUSE. I actually did try OpenSUSE on that one. No way. You did? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, you didn't even tell me that. Are you just trying to like be all nice now? No, I'm being <laughs> legit there. Tumbleweed rolling. I'll try it because whatever, maybe there's some improvements there. But that's kind of where my hard line in the sand is, is like, I, I just get tired of hearing AMD is the way for your too old hardware. <laughs> like, yeah, you're too old hardware. Most people aren't doing that. From my user perspective, I don't have to think about the GPU anything with AMD, at least on my system, but it is a bit older technology. And I think if AMD can fix that little 
ditch of releasing new technology the way they are, then I think it'd be a near-perfect experience. I wonder how it's going to be with Intel and their ARC graphics. I honestly don't know because um, a lot of people have kind of written off ARC because, well, Intel's kind of written off ARC, it seems like, sometimes. I guess the drivers are baked in a 6-2 kernel. So if Intel comes in and it has the third viable player, awesome. Maybe I'll finally get to that point where if I buy brand new hardware, I don't have to worry about it. And I'll run Intel. I don't care. <laughs> like, I am so agnostic in my tech. But from a person who buys hardware, not Ryan level consistently, but like fairly consistently, what you would consider a, a pothole may I consider like a chasm to me because it's just like, I don't want to wait six months to a year for like fully functional hardware. I don't think it's a year though. It, it might be like two or three months. Well, actually, no, I have no idea. I'm going to stop talking because I don't really know. I just know that I haven't had the problem. But again, I buy, you know, one-year-old hardware at the newest. Honestly, I'd probably say it's six months now because of how they pin to certain kernels. So you figure three months and it depends when the product launches and all that stuff. So it might not make it into the kernel, so it'll be the next one and yada, yada, yada. But anyway, that's where, Nate, you would constantly say I'm wrong here. But, you know. <laughs> you're only kind of wrong, but you're also kind of right. Wendy, can you make sure you delete that part where I said he's kind of right? <laughs> I don't know that I'll delete it, but maybe I'll beep it out because that was a really dirty word. It was, yeah. Saying that Matt's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for teams, individuals, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation Plus Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation for this amazing open source project by signing up for the premium edition, especially where it starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. So while we were back talking about unpopular opinions again, Wendy, you seem to be talking about Pybricks yet again. That I am. And the people that work on Pybricks are just so awesome. Absolutely love working with the code itself and the people that are part of this open source project. On Wednesday last week, the kids did a complete overhaul of their robot. That's one of the things that I talked about and the fact that they were wanting to go in and switch their code over from Lego Python to Pybrix Python. Yesterday was our regular weekly meeting where we were meeting for four hours. The kids figured out exactly how they want their robot to run. So because they had made so many different changes in the attachments, and those attachment changes are now on their website, so if you go to buildingbeast.org, you can see what some of those different changes are that they've made to it. And because of those changes, they can now pretty much do everything on the board. Now, does that mean that they have time to do it? No. I sent another video to the team. This one was a U.S. team, I believe. But this one was to show when you are mapping things out, when you're determining what missions you're doing when, in order to do as much as you can in a certain time, let's be thinking about where those are in relationship. What attachments do you have on? How can you do it in the most efficient way possible? And I think they came up with a really, really awesome plan. And yesterday we actually started the coding. So my daughter had done the basic initializations. So when we sit down to work on the robot code yesterday, she'd already said, okay, left drive motor is on port, whatever, right, 
the drive pair was done, the lift attachment, all of that basic stuff was in there and they could get right to work on coding some different functions. We're almost done with that. I think they have two left and those are going to be for line squaring. So far, I'm loving it. And I don't know if I've talked to you last week or not about one of my favorite aspects of Pybricks that we can do now that we couldn't do before in Lego Python. And that's actually importing other Python files, which is so much nicer. They can have one file with all of their initializations, all of their functions in it, and then import that into run one at the top. And then you're just looking at the code that it takes to run that robot. So in the past, they've had to go all the way and scroll through that in order to get to their actual code to start working on whatever they're writing on robot code that day. So that keeps those files cleaner. It also makes it easier to change functions. So before, if there was a tweak that needed to be made to a function, then you had to go into every single run file and make that change again, which is, oh my gosh, that can take forever. Hey, did I do this one? No. So you're jumping back and forth in between files, trying to, you know, make sure that the kids have got all of that changed in there. The other thing that's fantastic about that is they can end up creating an all-in-one run where they import all of their settings and then they have a wait for button press function. That's one that they don't actually have in their code yet. So that's one they actually still need to write to. So the two line squaring functions and then a wait for button function. But they can have an all-in-one program where it's just importing run one, run two. They're eventually going to have six different runs where they're launching the robot from home. That's all done in one file. And if they make any tweaks to those runs, unlike before, they had to then change it into places, change it in the individual run and then change it in the other one here. Everything's just being imported into one file. And it is so much faster on start. It actually blew the kids away when I was showing them that yesterday I brought a robot that we'd been playing with at home that already had Pybricks installed and showed them exactly how that works. When I hit the button, it starts. Unlike with the Lego firmware that was on it, you push the button to start it and then you're starting to think, did I actually push the button? And then it goes ahead and takes off. And when your nerves are a little bit high already as you're in competition, that can be a little bit scary, a little bit frustrating as the time is starting to tick down. So it's pretty immediate as to when your code actually starts running. One of the amazing maintainers on the project, Lawrence, also listens to the show, probably specifically ones that are about Pybricks. So he heard me talking last week about how I had noticed we didn't have that wait for seconds. And I'd mentioned that where on everything we did with the Lego code, it didn't matter whether it was Scratch or whether it was Python, you would drive forward and then you'd have to give it half a second wait. And if you didn't do that between every single step, it would get to acting extremely weird and do some super hmm. funky things. So that's part of the reason why we had different drive functions and whatnot, just trying to keep its brain clear, having those weights already locked in. And in my playing with Pribix, that's not an issue. And he had mentioned that they have done things in the firmware for these to help prevent that from happening. And they're just doing an amazing job. I can't praise Pybrix enough. I've had to contact them for some other user support. And I'm open about the fact that I am still learning Python. I don't know everything about Python. I'm learning along with the kids. It's part of the reason why I have a robot at home. So I can try some things. I can figure some things out. And then be able to answer questions when I'm back there. Be able to guide the kids through solving some of those problems on their own instead of as a team getting frustrated because we can't get it to work, partially because I'm still learning the skills myself as well. And so it's kind of got that give and take. And I had recorded the show with you guys on Friday last week. 
and then went to go try to figure out the line follow code. And I had all of the right stuff there. I just didn't have all of the right stuff in the right place. And that reflection is what we're using in order to line follow. So you take a reflection on the black line and see what that reading is. You take a reflection on the white line and see what that reading is. Get the average of those two numbers. And in that line follow code, you're basically tracking between that black and white line as it's getting the percentage of those two. Well, I had my reflection, that number that the sensor's supposed to be constantly getting outside of my while loop. So it was taking the initial reading of what that reflection was and then never changing. So we'd just make a right turn. And after a day of that, I was getting really frustrated if I didn't know how much the robot cost, I might have thrown it through a window. I was really, really angry. And I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and ask on Pybricks in their support section. I know it's probably something simple that I'm doing wrong. I guarantee it's something that I'm doing wrong, but I can't see what that is right now and need some help. And they were super awesome in helping me get that solved. And what it was, is I just needed to bring that reflection reading that it was getting into my while loop so then it was constantly updating instead of being outside of it like I said something incredibly simple and it's one of those things that after going through it I was like oh I need to remember that of course next time and then it's one of those things that because I'd worked through it I'd had an issue with it and asked for help got the problem solved that I was able to really stress to the kids why do we have these things in our loop? Well, that's because we want them constantly updated, right? We need to know what that reflected light is in order for it to actually do what we want it to do and follow those lines. So I can't say enough about how much the team is enjoying Frybricks and how awesome the people are that are running that project. Yeah, it sounds like it. The fact that they help you through a problem and you actually got responses and everything else, that's really fantastic right there. I mean, that, that's worth a lot. Even if you didn't get like a, a 100% solution, which I mean, I guess you never have a 100% solution, but even if you don't like have a 100% solution or that they don't give you 100% of it and you get the rest of it, the fact that they're helping you work toward a solution is fantastic. Yeah, it is. And I noticed one of the things that Lego Python, where there was a lot of things we couldn't do, it was a little more hand-holding. You didn't necessarily have to have things in the right order for it to work. Whereas in Pybricks, if things aren't in the right order, things won't work. And I think that's a good thing for us to learn. I think it's a good thing for us to be learning how to code things properly. So when you take this from robotics with Legos and move that onto other skills, that they have learned it the right way. So another issue I'd had is I was trying to define color black. So they have a lot of colors that are initially defined for those color sensors and black isn't one of them. And one of the reasons I found out why today, or at least I'm guessing is why, is because with my color sensors and how they're positioned, that hue, value, and saturation was way different than it's reading on the kids' robot and on their mat. And when I'd originally put those values in, I did have all of that written, but I had it above some other variables that I'd put in to read those sensors. And I needed to swap that. I needed to have the, hey, this is what black is. These are the colors that I want you to read. And then below that say, I need a variable for checking color, a variable for checking reflection. So I wasn't typing that out the whole time. And so putting those variables above it meant that it actually wasn't reading the color black, putting them below it. Hey, guess what? It works. And I love the fact that not only are they helpful and the way it works, the way it runs is really well, but they're helping kids learn how to write better code through the way that they're making you do it. Yeah, for sure. The question at the end of the day is going to be, how is it inspiring the kids? Do they feel more empowered through all of this and, and what their next steps are from there? I really think they are. We were talking about some of the things that it was letting us do as we were writing some functions today, and they seem to be really excited. I know my co-mentor was just extremely ecstatic 
about some of the stuff that we were doing today as we were writing functions. And I think that kind of rubbed off onto the kids and they are getting excited about how we have all these possibilities, not only in our robot with the changes they've made, but with the availability that we have in the code as well. Yeah, it really is very exciting. I'm still quite, I don't want to say jealous is the right word, but for the lack of a better term, what you're doing right now is just super awesome. And I'm sad that I'm not doing that right now. Well, maybe you can join a team next year and then both of us can be talking nonstop about robotics. I know there for a while it was 3D printing and robotics and right now it is all robotics. So if robotics isn't your thing, I do apologize, but it does rule my life right now. I eat, sleep, and drink robotics when I'm not doing mm. stuff for the show or homeschool stuff. Sounds painful in the throat. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's robotics. And I probably even have dreams about it, though I don't even remember them at this point. That's just all I do. So you'll still be getting a lot of that through our trip to Texas here in April and be updating you how that's going. I can't wait till we're done writing functions and they actually get to start getting the robot to move using all of that stuff that they've learned. So great stuff. I'm excited about it, but that kind of wraps up my robotics update for this week. You have more stuff on the retro side for us, Nate. Is this one also a game? I have no idea what this is in the show notes. No, it's not a game really. So I talked about a few weeks ago putting X windows on this machine called the C64. It's a ARM-based computer, essentially in form factor of the Commodore 64, but it's designed just to be an emulator of Commodore 64 stuff. Well, after I did that video, someone left me a message saying, hey, have you heard of PCUAE as a comment? And I had not. So I looked it up and it essentially, I'm still in the process of trying to get it to work. First, I, I went for the beta release of it to use that and it didn't work for me. So I, I probably did something wrong. But it allows you basically to, to emulate more than just Commodore 64 stuff. You can do like Amiga, Atari, and other game systems in there. It'll even allow you access to X Windows, so the Linux underpinnings as well. So it does all these things. And I'm very interested in trying this out and seeing what I can do with it. But because it's just an ARM-based computer at the core of it, it can really emulate any of these old 8-bit machines. I could make it actually the ultimate emulator for my living room then in the perfectly shaped box ever. That's what I'm playing with right now. I just started digging into it and I'm going to be trying to have some fun with it even this evening after we're done recording, see if I can, can get it to install properly. It doesn't brick the system. It adds a little tag in the firmware. So if, if a USB drive is plugged in and it's the proper USB drive, it'll boot from that instead of the internal storage. So you can do whatever you want on that external storage and you won't harm anything on the internal. So that's kind of the idea. This is definitely up your alley. And I think it might be something that you may get Matt into. He's done just a little bit more with emulation. But of course, you would want something that could emulate just about everything and not just the 64. Right. And that's what I think is really cool about it. You know, may as well take advantage of the fact that it's already an ultimate Commodore 64 emulator. So, I mean, it's not great for obviously Commodore 64 accessories, but if you just want to mm -hmm. do casual, like fun gaming or what, what I think is fun gaming, I mean, I like the pixels or programming or anything <laughs> of that nature, then you can do it on this machine. And now you can actually do other machines as well, which makes it that much cooler. Yeah, definitely. So not only do you have an unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, you also have an unhealthy obsession with the Commodore 64. Yeah, but that was known. I mean, I say I'm a <laughs> vintage tech enthusiast. Wait, wait. He did not deny the unhealthy part for either of those two. You're right. He didn't deny it. It was an implied deny. <laughs> <laughs> Nice try, Nate. But I would say it's not an unhealthy obsession with the Commodore 64. I would say it's an unhealthy obsession with emulators in general or retro in general. Um, Touche. I don't know if it's an unhealthy obsession. I'm just fascinated <laughs> by them. Like what they're able to do with such limited resources, I think is still fascinating. Yeah, it really is. Says the guy with a, how much was the uh, imposter? I think... <laughs> Okay, so I think it ended up being <laughs> around six or $700 if you don't Ouch. include my mistakes. It's my main computer that I use. I'm using it right now. And I think I put more than that into the system that I have next to me, though it is a massive tower with incredibly excellent airflow, if I might add. And this is not massive and doesn't have great airflow, but it's <laughs> so much fun. But it's fun. <laughs> Hey, look, technology should be fun. If it's not fun, throw it away. I mean, e-recycle it. Well, Matt, it looks like you have another game of the week. What is this game? 
something you've recommended before? It is something I've recommended before, and this is actually the first time I've made a recommendation again. So this game is called Leap. It is, Nate, I don't know if you're going to remember these games, but like Earth Siege, Tribes, Tribes 2, those type of like multiplayer games from like the mid-90s. Uh, no. Open world, but they have jetpacks and all that stuff, and there's this whole concept of what they call skating. It's like they have gravity boots that as you jump over hills and you engage these grav boots, you slide down the hill, pick up speed and jump off and gain height and speed and transverse the map that way. As you have these like capture the flag and various other game modes. This game is very much in that ilk, except for this uses hoverboards and this uses grappling hooks (laughs) as one pvp or player versus player style of gameplay they also have like missions and like a wave mode where it's just constant objectives and see how long you can survive kind of mode with the team sure it recently came out of early access Uh, i played this on the last charity stream i did for a good two or three hours it is a fun game it is cross-platform as far as like the multiplayer of itself so xbox xbox series x s uh ps4 ps5 steam all that stuff is cross-platform as far as like the crossplay stuff for okay. uh, multiplayer, regardless of the platform you pick it on, you can totally turn that on and off, which is a fantastic feature. The reason I'm highlighting this though is this is made by Blue Isle Studios, who are the guys that made Valley. Like artistically speaking, probably one of my favorite games. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Valley is gorgeous. And that came out like seven years ago. So aesthetically, this is a great game too if you like sci-fi. What I really appreciate, though, is while this requires Proton to do this, as a Linux user, I really appreciate the fact that even with EAC enabled, you don't get kicked and you don't get banned. Oh, nice. They incorporated that lovely little EAC toggle that we kept hearing about and incorporate into the game. And I shouted that out yesterday when the game officially came out for other consoles and out of early access on Steam. And retweeted and liked or quoted by the uh, developers of Blue Isle. So awesome. They're aware that it's an intentionally done thing because we've seen other developers who can do, you know, flip, flip a switch for easy anti-cheat to be enabled on Linux and not do it. Mm -hmm. These guys have done it. Even if these aren't your type of games, Price is hefty for a multiplayer game if that's all you do. The one thing I will say, though, is it's a buy it once. There's no microtransactions. There's no free to play. There's none of the typical nonsense that you'd find in a lot of these multiplayer games like uh, Planet Side 2 or any of those kind of games. The game is $30. I'm not saying it's cheap. And if you're listening to this from the date the show drops, which is March 8th, to March 15th of 2023, you can pick it up on Steam for 50% off. And at that price, it is a heck of a steal because I play, I actually had some time to do some gaming and normally I'd be looking for something more relaxed, I guess would probably be the right way given my work schedule. I was actually playing this. Now, Steam Deck, I haven't tried it, so I can't comment on that. I'm sure that it's going to work on the Steam Deck you tried on your Atari VCS? Uh, the VCS is over uh, 720p, 60 frame, PS3 and 8. So, no, I have not tried it on the VCS. Look, anything more than 480p is a waste. <laughs> uh, so many things. But I just wanted to highlight this game again because I think that's awesome that the devs did that because not enough do it. I totally agree. It looks like a fun game to play. It kind of has some... You know, you talk about the sliding thing down a hill with the hover ability. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the Fortnite. You slide on your knees and somehow that makes you faster. I don't understand it. But anyway, this makes more <laughs> sense. And I hope they're successful. I hope that it does really well. It definitely has atmospheric quality to it. The artwork on this game is like fantastic. Like the in-game, like when you play the game is fantastic. When you look up at the where the clouds and the stars and the, kind of the planet you're on, you'll see like capital ships fighting. Just little details, fighters flying around and fighting and just like occasional barrage of lasers, other capital ships and that kind of stuff. Just little details like that really make the atmosphere for this game is why I really, really like it on top of the the solid gameplay. And I would say the way the capital ships appeared, it was very Star Wars-like. You see all of a sudden appear. Yes. I will definitely say that if you watch the trailer on steam it is very tongue-in-cheek it looks to be i didn't hear the audio i just watched it and i thought it was funny just the visuals 
the fact that it's literally a guy in an exosuit lounging in an inner tube in the middle of a lake. While everyone's fighting. <laughs> While everybody's fighting. Explosions all around. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, you can see the links at the bottom of the show description. For other great shows on the networks like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at TuxDigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be here shirt. Do it every week. Or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. She really is that evil. I don't know why people don't believe it. Hey, now. As always, we thank you for joining <laughs> us, and we'll be back next week for another awesome episode of Lennox Out Loud. Until then, keep the banner friendly, conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. Mm-hmm.